You may know him as the man on the second floor. You may know him as the best teacher in the school. You may know him as simply an English teacher. But did you know this man got accepted into Columbia and Harvard? Did you know that this man taught many insanely good writers, like myself? Huh. This is Don Verlaine. You already know the name, and I'd like to welcome Mr. Bennett to Beyond the Classroom. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to it. And he is a good writer. He's not just <laughs> he's not just blowing smoke, so he is. All right. Gosa, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Mr. Bennett, before we are uh, going off? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, I'm 24, so I'm a pretty young teacher, you know, relatively. Uh, I, I started teaching pretty much straight out of college. Uh, I graduated a semester early from Washington and Lee University up in Virginia, but I am a Dallas kid born and raised. So uh, grew up here, uh, graduated from Hillcrest right down the street, Panther Pride, baby. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I, I'm sticking around for a little bit uh, more, and then I'm going up to Boston in the fall. All right, Mr. Bennett, just to get you, just so I can uh, get to know you a little bit more, you know, I'm gonna call out some certain ages, and you tell me memories about yourself that had to do with that age. Can you do that for me? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right, so let's start off easy. Wait, how much detail should I go into on this? <laughs> should I be telling <laughs> just, stories just, here? Just, just you know, some fun little stories, you know. Okay. It, but you can say whatever you want to, honestly. You know, <laughs> it's me and you in this room. Okay. All right. Uh, let me think. Ten. Ten years old, so I would have been in fifth grade. Oh, uh, that was probably the peak of my basketball career. I dropped seventy-two in a in a church league game, and that was <laughs> that was that was nice. Yeah. So ten years old, seventy-two points. There we go. So you're a basketball player, all right? Oh yeah, nice. hey, used to be. I was at <laughs> one point. Oh, did you participate in uh, the game thing today? No, I forgot it was today. So I showed up in Sperry's. I ah. can't be. I can't be dunking on kids in Sperry's. Ah. So that's. I didn't get to play. All mm-hmm. right, let's start off a little bit more. Let's go on a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. Twenty. Twenty. That was my sophomore year of college. Um, Man, there were a lot of memories uh, to do with that. I think uh, that was a year, so I went on a a writing trip. Uh, My college had this thing where the last four weeks of the year, you only took one class, and a lot of it was like experiential learning. So kids went out to, you know, uh, Utah for a geology trip, and some of them went to Iceland and uh, Amsterdam and stuff like that. Um, I went. I was a creative writing minor, so I went on a a writing, an isolated writing trip to a farm, and it was that was just a wild trip. It was some of my best writing, but I mean, man, the people on that trip were just it was a wild ride. Let me tell you, been stuck on that group. All right, Mr. Bennett. Now that I know a little bit about you, you know, I'd like to ask you a few questions based on past experiences of me talking to you directly. You know. Yeah. So you use creative writing as a sort of escape from reality. Could you ever relate that to certain songs or albums or, or could you relate that feeling or have you even listened to a type of music to get you in the mood of that feeling? Of oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I full on have like a writing playlist. So it's like, oh. like I, I like, um, I you know, I put on a playlist and, and it kind of just moves into to writing mode. Um, but I think as, as for, for your first question, um, you know, a big part of the writing um, and the way that writing can be used as, to use your words, an escape from reality, uh, the way that that is, is, you know, a lot of times um, you get to express some of the emotions or some of the stresses or experiences that you've had, but just through a different medium. 
YouTube, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, through different characters, through a different lens, uh, through a different world. And I think that in a lot of times, like listening to music is the same way, right? Like you, you are um, letting yourself feel the emotions of that song, and in part of it, you're you're you know putting yourself in the mindset. Um, that is similar to what the the artist is talking about. You know, if it's a, um, you know, if it's Kanye, generally remembering yeah. like like oh yeah, the time when I was really into myself, right? Yeah, you were you were winning in life. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but you're still seeing it. You're still experiencing it through the lens of that artist, right? So I think in a lot of ways it's similar. It's a lot. It's a, a nice. I think both of them function really well as coping mechanisms in a lot of ways. All right, so. I think we'd both be on the same page if I were to tell you that when you want to focus on doing something, you'd love to get in a certain mood, yeah? So we, we've covered mm-hmm. that. It's, for yeah. example, like you creative when you're trying to escape. Mm-hmm. What exactly is that that mood? And yeah, what exactly oh, is that? Oh, man, that's, that's a hard one to describe. Um, I think that, you know, everyone who writes kind of has it differently. Um, for me, what it is is... It's gonna make me sound a little crazy, but like it's almost like like I'm I'm watching these things happen and then just writing it down. Um, not as much as as though like I'm making sort of the story up. It's like the story already exists, and I'm just sort of seeing it and transcribing it. Um, and to get in that sort of mindset, you know, it is it is sort of a funny way of it's a funny feeling um, because like it's almost like you're you're experiencing a completely separate person's stories and emotions and stuff like that. Um, and so in some ways you have to like, let go a little bit of what's going on, like where you are. Um, you know, like when I, when I've really gone into periods where I write a lot, um, a lot of times, like everyone around me is just kind of like what's going on because I'm isolated so much, you know, it's like, I'm not fully present in that work in this world because I'm, I'm doing that instead. And I think, uh, I think you know, that's where a lot of the music comes in because I think that that's, that's something that if you find those sort of triggers and those consistent triggers, then that, that can really make it easier to slip into that mindset. So so, what exactly is your, your direct creative process? Like, what yeah. are the steps? So um, it always starts with, with one single thing. Um, so, like, one of the opening lines to one of my stories is... Um, most people don't know poor. Um, another one is, I remember the first time I saw the farm. Um, it always starts with like one single line, right? Or one single image. Um, and that just kind of pops in my head. I, I really can't act, I, I can't really take any credit for that. It just like, that line sort of just pops in. And then I gotta just kind of sit with it for a few um, weeks or even months sometimes. And it's just, at that point, it's just a process of questioning and constantly letting yourself like question and build and sort of coax out the rest of it, you know? Um, okay. Most people don't know poor. Why don't most people know poor? Why does this person know poor? What does this person know that, um, you know, other people might not know? Uh, what is this person's perspective on it? Why do they have this perspective? Who is this person, you know? Mm. Um, and so then by that point, at the end of that process, it's a fully fleshed out deal, you know? Um, and when you actually write or whenever you actually put anything pen to paper, if you're, um, you know, telling a story or if you're writing anything, then really you're just seeing like a fraction of what that author has in their head. Um, because like, you know, all of those story, every single character that appears in any story, 
I guarantee has a full sort of backstory in the author's mind. So you got to flesh that out first. Do you ever like connect it to anything like real life and emotional to try and like grasp the, the audience feels, you know, make them want to? Yeah, well, I'm big into, I don't, I don't really like to write like fantasy or anything like that. I like to read fantasy. Um, big into Harry Potter, but, um, <laughs> but you know, like for my writing, it's all sort of real, real world stories. Um, mm, real. Yeah, and so it's yeah, so I absolutely you know try to to relate it, and I I like um, <clears throat> like style of life writing, kind of just like taking um, something that pretty much everyone has experienced, whether it's you know losing a relationship that you really cared about, or mm-hmm. um, you know chasing after something, and turning that into some sort of like story, because I think that that's what people really connect to is when they can relate it back to themselves. Okay, so. Speaking of moods and creative processes, I'd like to ask you, have you written any songs? No, I haven't. Um, no songs? No, because I, I'm pretty bad at poetry. Um, <laughs> like, I, I just, I really am not good. So, my, my, I've always been more of a narrative kind of guy. Um, so... What about rap? I think, I think... I could give it a shot, but um, <laughs> uh, hey, maybe maybe that'll be my going away gift to you this year. Oh, um, maybe, maybe. I'll toss you over some lyrics. All right. Off topic a little bit, mm-hmm. but if you were to see any artists and perform your work or interests, who would it be? An artist speaking I, like out of the generality of music, just in general. If I could see any of them like, like read my stuff or if like, I could see any of them live. Like if you could perform your your work to them and like show them that you're really about it who would it be oh boy um that's a tough one um there's a writer named patrick rothfuss that i really love if we're counting him as artists um Mm. i would love he's known for being kind of hypercritical too um and so and there's a lot of like dead writers who i would you know really like to (laughs) to sort of like talk to and and have um and get like advice from um whether it's you know uh nabokov or (coughs) fitzgerald or hemingway um just don't do a ouija yeah (laughs) (laughs) hey i'm I'm thinking about trying man i'm trying to see a ghost at some point you know you can't go your whole life without at least trying to see a ghost yolo yeah, just no, yeah. The ghost? Hey, maybe the ghost is friendly. You know, maybe we're just discriminating against ghosts. I don't know why no one's ever thought about that perspective. Maybe, hey, maybe. the ghosts are cool. I was thinking about it, but um, <laughs> what about uh, any musical artist? Just, just, just to think of it. You know? Yeah. So, uh, Michael Jackson would be a person who I, I've just always think. I think that he was incredible, um, just and so unique as a talent as as an artist um and i think that just across creative mediums whether it's music or honestly film or writing or whatever i think that he would be really interesting to talk to about that stuff mm. um obviously he's dead so if we're <laughs> gonna go for yeah RIP. uh so if we're gonna go for a m- more current one well there's another man named jeff buckley um who he's a he also is dead but he um, oh, he man. he wrote some of my favorite songs um you know, like modern times, you know who I would really like to is J. Cole. I, w- I think that he would, I think that his sort of perspective on things, and, and all of his songs are narrative, not all of them, but a lot of them are narratives, right? Um, and so, like, I think that he would be really interesting to talk to about, you know, writing and about narratives because he's constructing them in a lot of those songs. So, speaking of artists in that general sense, 
Mm-hmm. Who put you on your first artist? Was it were they significant or anything like that? Who was it? Uh, I mean the the biggest one was like mom, my mom. Uh, she, uh-huh. I still remember. I was, I think I was, you know, seven or eight at the time. Um, and she brought me in. She she was a dancer. Um, so mm-hmm. she she um, is you know big into music and how important it is. Um, but she brought me into the back room and and showed me Thriller, the music video. Oh, you loved it. Yeah, <laughs> and so and you know my I was eight years old and I was going Thriller. Um, but I think that that was the first like time I I can really consciously remember someone showing me. Um, an artist and being like wow but then of course you you have a, like I, I think a lot of a lot of artists are, are shown through friendships too oh so. yeah i was i was i was curious as to did did anyone ever like go up to you and like where you were try, trying to question your musical taste and say hey you need to start listening to this yeah actually a very recent um very recently a girl um has spent a lot of time trying to broaden (laughs) my musical horizons uh but i think i think too um is that a lot of times you know music has especially like with the streaming era where we have access to so many different types of music right like to a degree that we've that no one's really had before um Mm -hmm. and i think that at this point people have become really really you know fond of associating their personality with like music taste or some music tastes uh, and so like when when people are trying to share their personality with someone else a lot of ways that manifests itself and um you know what's your music taste oh hey let me try to, sh- to share you share with you my music taste and see if you like it uh, but yeah for sure uh, i think that happens all the time um one of my best friends uh, from college actually he showed me a lot of um rappers i i didn't know uh, another friend showed me a lot of uh, rock songs that I didn't I you know I wasn't really into rock in high school so he brought in that horizon too yeah. have those have those people like or like your mom or their girl or your friends in high school or, or whatever have they ever helped you with like you know writing too like trying to get you no, in that writing absolutely not it was that's, just your friend or no, yourself that? yeah no that's like the I mean honestly like the fact that I'm even talking about it is kind of um, a big change for me. Um, I won, I won an award for it in college and it was the first time that like, you know, any of my friends or anyone at all really even knew that I did. Right. I'm, I'm super private about it. So, um, Hmm. no, that's a, that's like a me thing. Would not let any of them interfere with that. So you don't, you don't really like tell people that you write much or or it's just a part of your everyday life. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I do it for my, myself. Um, I don't necessarily do it. I think that's actually one of my big problem with a lot of like the sort of the writing majors I came around um, is that a lot of them wrote for an audience, you know, and then that becomes very clear when it is that when it's like, okay, I'm trying to impress you with, by showing you this. And I, I think that that's a little less genuine than just doing something because you love it exactly. and hoping that, that other people are going to respond to it. Yeah, I can, I can agree fully that like true, true, beautiful art and true, like truly doing something which you love brings out like the greatness and the talent in somebody like and that's that goes for every great artist like Michael Jackson yeah. or my favorite Frank Ocean, you know, Nice, yeah. like, uh, OK. All right. So I wanted to try this game that I was thinking about. <laughs> 
So everyone who knows you knows you love Harry Potter. Oh right? yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. So what we're gonna be doing is I pull up quotes from Harry Potter and you have to tell me exactly where it's from and who said it. Okay. And if you fail to do one of these quotes or, or fail to tell me where it's from and who said it, then you have to tell me the most embarrassing and also PG <laughs> story you can think of. Can you can you agree to that? Yeah, but wait, just a few clarifying questions. Uh, and before we get into this, audience, I would like to know that we have played this game before in class, <laughs> and I have always won. These are, so these just, are new quotes. Let's just be clear here. Uh, but uh, do I, can I ask, like, what book it's from? Or is that not allowed? You have, like, to, tell me, you have to tell me what book it's from, who said it. Okay, so I, I can't know what book it's from. I can't ask you, like, which one of these is You can't know. Okay. All right, go for it. Are you ready? This yeah. is going to really test... You're a true fan knowledge, so let's uh-huh. let's get this started. All right. And I quote, You can kip under that, he said. Don't mind if it wriggles a bit. I think I still got a couple old dormants in oh the pockets. Uh, that's Hagrid, book one, right after he picks up Harry from the shack in the ocean and rescues him from the Dursleys. <laughs> oh. They're on a boat, and he's given him his coat. And so he mentions the dormice in a couple of pockets. Oh man! And and what's the book one called? Uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Philosopher's Stone if you're British. Right under this quote says Rubus Hagrid, Harry <laughs> Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's the second quote. I hope you're pleased with yourselves. We could have all been killed, or, or worse, expelled. expelled Hermione oh, Granger. Oh, um, yeah, oh, that's man. that's also Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. You uh, finished my sentence. <laughs> yeah, that's a, um, yeah, no, that's that's after she, um, Harry goes to to one v one Draco Malfoy, oh, and and Hermione, and so he goes out after hours, um, and then the caretaker and Hermione follows him to stop them. The caretaker catches them. They run and they run, run into Fluffy, the three headed dog that's guarding the um, entrance to. The Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, test. man. Okay. All right. You're seeing this, everyone. This is incredible work by Mr. <laughs> Bennett. Always use the proper name for things. Fear of a name increases, increases fear, fear of a thing itself. itself. Dumbledore. Um, Which book is from? That's also from book one. That's <laughs> Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, that's at the end of the book after Harry has successfully... Uh, save the Sorcerer's Stone from Voldemort's attempt to grab it, and he brings up to Dumbledore that um, that <laughs> people always call him you-know-who, and that's what happens. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Next quote. Okay. All right. Fine, snapped blank. Go naked, and Harry, make sure you get that's a picture Molly of That's Molly Weasley, book four, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and oh, she's talking. Man. I couldn't even finish. <laughs> I was going to say, goodness, I, I could do that, do with a laugh. <laughs> yeah, she's talking about she got Ron these these ugly, ugly dress robes, which are like wizard suits. Um, oh, man. And Ron's like, yo, I'm not going to wear those. I'd rather go stark naked. And then she says that. <laughs> um, that's Goblet of Fire. All right. Five. Sadly, accidental accidental rudeness occurs alarmingly often. Blank finished the sentence gravely. Best to say nothing at all. My dear man, doesn't it end with my dear man? Doesn't uh, nope. But okay, so that's that's Albus Dumbledore. Uh-huh. Uh, that's Harry Potter and the um, Hapwood Prince. Oh man, I, I almost thought you weren't gonna get this one. I'm nah, not gonna lie. He he showed up to the Dursleys and. Um, 
and after the, the Dursleys are Harry's, you know, rude as heck, um, adopted, they're his aunt, his uncle, they take him in, they're very abusive, they hate wizards, but so Dumbledore shows up on their doorsteps, and Vernon Dursley is like, yo, I don't mean to be rude, and then Dumbledore drops that. Alright, keep in mind, everyone, that I only know where these quotes are from, my list is completely faced away from Mr. Bennett here. <laughs> really incredible, really, really incredible work. Okay, so, now that we've gotten a refreshment of how your, your, your knowledge of Harry Potter is <laughs> impeccable to the bone, I'd love to ask, has anything ever interested you completely other than writing, like, physical activities or basketball or football, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I love basketball. I still love, like, watching basketball. I actually got to mm -hmm. go to my first Mavs game with Luca. Uh, about a month ago, and it was it was great. I mean, it was such a great experience. But no, I, I love basketball. Um, I consume a lot of basketball stuff. Um, you know, I try to watch every Mavs game that I can. Um, as far as as just other stuff, um, you know, I, I do like reading. It's I like writing more, but I do like to read. Um, I spend a lot of time with my friends, arguably too much time. But um, but yeah, I guess basketball and sort of the the story world. Are two of my two of my biggest passions. Wait, so so how far does basketball like your love for basketball date back? Uh, ages. Um, my dad played basketball in college, so he, um, you know, we grew up with a basketball around. Um, so I mean, from the youngest I can remember, I was playing basketball, and I tried other sports too. Um, I played football, and uh, my dad tried to get me to play baseball. I didn't, I didn't take to it. Um, but I played football. I played volleyball. I played basketball. But basketball was always the one that I stuck with. So, so speaking of, like, young ages, I remember you saying uh, beforehand that you had to switch from a public to or private to public school. Yeah. What was your experience like exactly when you first transitioned from a private to public school? Well, okay, you also have to realize that the private school is, was all boys, too. So it wasn't... Oh, it was all boys Yeah, all school. boys private school. So it wasn't just that, you know, the private to public thing. It was also that I was suddenly around girls from, <laughs> for like the first time in high school. Um, and I think, you know, the immediate, the immediate sort of mark was, or the immediate impression was just that, like, I am in way over my head. Um... I still remember my, my first day, we were in the counselor's office, um, and there was a, a pregnant girl across from us, and my mom was sitting next to me, and her eyes were like like globes, like, because again, I was coming from an all-boys private school, and she was just, I know, like, she was, she still tells me to this day, she was like, I was sitting there, and I was convincing myself that you were, you know, going to get a girl pregnant, uh, but like, oh, man. yeah, so, but it's just like that sort of immediate difference you know you go from all boys to okay hello this is very clearly not all boys anymore right um demographically too the shift was was enormously big um it's very like, diverse yeah i mean it was like i went like the public school was hillcrest which is which is super diverse um <laughs> oh man hillcrest from a private school yeah, all boys private school to hillcrest yeah oh, man. um so that was a big change for me too and then just the 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 classes themselves um you know my math class, I was doing stuff that I've been doing since middle school, um, and it was, you know, supposed to be advanced. Um, and you know, the teachers are just a lot 
a lot a lot of time the teachers um, were less formal than I was used to, um, which I actually really liked, and I, I've tried to um, implement kind of as you know sometimes a, a more informal style in my teaching um, than you know being super formal all the time. All right, so Mr. Bennett, I'd I'd hate to conclude this podcast, but unfortunately we are running out of time. So yeah. before we finish off, I'd like to ask you one last personal question, if you're all right sure. with that. let's do it. All right, this is going to be a little interesting question. It's going to be a little different. So if you were the last person on the planet and you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, trying to build back the planet, like like Dr. Stone or whatever, you yeah. know about that? Uh-huh. What song would it be and why? Um, Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley. But the the a specific version it's called the Live Bears Hill version. Uh, as for why um, that song, in a lot of ways, deals with um, not just like faith, but how people tend to turn to faith. Um, sometimes, sometimes turning to faith is a good thing, but a lot of times people try to turn to faith instead of really confronting their problems, which can sometimes be an issue, um, and. So, you know, in that situation, the world's screwed, right? I'm all alone. You know, I think that that, that would just be a nice little constant reminder. Um, hey, like, you got to do what you can here. And another thing is that the, the song is just, is just beautiful. If you haven't listened to it, it's Hallelujah, Live at Bearsville, uh, Jeff Buckley. You don't think you would get tired of it at all? No. no, but I think, I mean, yeah, I would totally get tired of it, but, like, at the same time, you know, when you listen to, like, beautiful stuff like that, I think that that would be one of the only things that, that could drive a person to continue on in that place. It's, like, the hope of getting back to being able to produce something of that beauty, you know? All right. So, it's a minute. It was, we, I really loved having you on Beyond the Classroom. Gonna have to finish off. So, all right. Yeah, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun.